This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Blue Monday podcast. My name is Mikey Penty-Smith and with Paul Cook now in charge of Ipswich Town, I'm joined by two men who know all about him and are primed to smarten us up on our new pool. We have Portsmouth season ticket holder and Premier League match pack producer Will Hucker and Wigan fan, Premier League BT Sport and Amazon Prime presenter Danny Jameson. So thanks for coming on the show, gents. And how are you both? Good, yeah. Pleased to see, uh, pleased to see Paul back in work. Doesn't feel right seeing him, you know, just uh, commenting on other teams, really, which is, I guess, what he's been spending his time doing. So yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed to see him back in work. I was foolishly holding out hope that he might just be holding on to unemployment long enough that he might come back to Wigan, should we ever get a, a new owner. But I think that was a little bit foolish. I'm, I'm amazed that it's taken him this long. Frankly, he's. Um, yeah, I rate him very highly, as you're probably about to hear. <laughs> he was just waiting for the perfect job to come along, Danny. Of course, of course. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the general consensus amongst Ipswich fans is that this is a real coup for us um, because he seemingly had success wherever he's gone. Um, starting with you, Will, can you just talk us through what he achieved at your club, which is Portsmouth, of course, and your overall opinion of him? Yeah, so he came in um, to Portsmouth inheriting a team that had spent two seasons in League Two. And in those two seasons before, Portsmouth finished 13th and then 16th. Um, So massive underperformance. And um, as soon as he arrived, his his first press conference stated his own objective was promotion, no messing about, I think was the terms he used. Um, So straight away, you had somebody who was prepared to talk about that target, which obviously I don't think it's unrealistic to say a club of Portsmouth size should be aspiring to be higher than League Two. Um, And finally, we had a manager who was making all the right noises that he was going to take us in the right direction again after 
obviously a very, very bleak period for our club. Um, in that first season that he was in charge, which was 15-16, um, he got us into the playoffs. We ended up finishing in sixth place in League Two. So as is always the case with us, playoff semi-final, exit. Um, thanks very much. See you next season. And um, that following season, we ended up getting promoted as champions, um, albeit um, a very short amount of time at the top of the league. I think it was literally a matter of minutes. We overtook Doncaster and Plymouth on the final day. Um, and then he, you know, we had a change of ownership and um, Wigan came calling. And I think the combination of those factors made it probably for him, if, if, I, if I look at it, you know, um, if I look at it without bias, it's probably actually a very, um, very logical decision for him to leave. Obviously, he was leaving behind a team that he'd taken up. Wigan were a team that had just got relegated from the championship. So there was sort of a, a the direction of travel was, you know, opposites. But Wigan at that time would have had a far greater budget in League One than Portsmouth. Um, and so he left maybe not under a cloud, but um, at the point that he left, I think we were kind of not too... It, I, I seem to remember like a local um, local media sort of take on it was basically you had, you had the whole city basically um, and now you've not lost it, but it's kind of... Um, you know, it's not it's not ended as probably people imagined it would, and there was probably disappointment at that, but also just an acceptance that that era had finished and a new one was about to begin. And that new era, of course, was at Wigan, Danny. Um, yeah, and it went pretty well for him, didn't it? Did it? And um, just picking up on what Will said about Paul Cook's first comments as Portsmouth manager. Did he say anything similar when he started at Wigan? Because he's already said that promotion is the aim for Ipswich. Yeah, well, I think I think that was implicit anyway. Um, he took over at, at Wigan in his in a similar kind of way that he took over at Portsmouth. The previous season had been one and done in the Championship. They were relegated straight back down. They had three managers that year. Gary Colwell, who'd taken them up, maybe wasn't quite the manager to keep them up. They then had a an absolutely abysmal time with Warren Joyce, who who just was was out of his depth, unfortunately, um, at, at the club, and seemed to set up for nil every single week, uh, and that pretty much uh, did for them. and And we thought we we were in a bit of a doldrums, but in a, in a in a real low point. Little did we know what was to come uh, in the in the past twelve months or so. But when he came in, and I know Will, you sort of alluded to it. It was a step up in terms of he was a former Wigan player who was a very cultured left winger for us, spent the first uh, four years of his career, I think, with us before he, he joined um, a Division One side in, in Norwich for decent money at the time. Um, he Obviously, he's a scouser. He was moving back towards friends and family. Um, and I think that was probably the only reason he really did join um, Wigan rather than staying with Portsmouth. Um, um, what he did immediately, he, he galvanised the entire club really and the entire fan base because this was people who are a little older than me we're talking late 80s when he was playing for Wigan remember him as a very good player um, and he's the right sort of character to turn around a ship that is listing because 
the squad was was generally kept together when they went down. They still had uh, Will Grigg, who is probably one of, if not the best third tier striker, maybe of the last 15 or 20 years. He had Nick Powell, who in, in my view is a Premier League footballer in terms of ability, maybe not everything else. So he had a very good squad to begin to, to work with. And as Will said there, he probably had the one of the two or three biggest budgets in the division to work with as well, in, with us and, and Blackburn Rovers. But I don't think any of us could really predict what he did that year because it's all very well having the pieces, but he turned that into, for my money, the best third tier side, possibly the last 20 or 25 years. Uh, they ended up with 98 points. They were pushed all the way by Blackburn, but but they were fantastic at times. They beat uh, Oxford 7-0 at one point. Some of the football was fantastic. It's got a lot of goals, kept a lot of clean sheets. I think that was the year we were, we were close to, to setting a record for clean sheets in a row at, at, at times. Um, and he, he immediately sparked the turnaround and took them straight back up, which was really needed um, at, at the time. Admittedly, then in the championship, it was a little bit more difficult. It was probably one of the weakest squads in the division. wasn't particularly well funded in terms of bringing new players in. It was basically the League One side. Um, and it didn't start well at all. Uh, the first half of the year, in relegation trouble. Um, but then we had a young man called Rhys James on loan from Chelsea, who was 18 at the time, only turned 19 just before Christmas. And that boy was, I mean, you could see him straight away. He was unreal. He was the best player yeah. in the division for, for the Remember second he, half of the year. He was a real standout player against yeah. against Ipswich at Portman Road. I think that might have been one of the first games where they'd moved him into central midfield to so he yeah. had more of an impact in games. And he was just out of this world, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem was he was simultaneously our best right-back, best centre-back and best central midfielder. There were a spell of three or four games where he played all three simultaneously um, and was phenomenal. But it eventually coalesced into an incredibly good run of form. End of that year, um, I think they lost, they lost one of their last nine league games to stay up. And then we've seen what happened uh, last year. They were awful, really, for, for the first six months of the year. There was a spell in November, December, where they, they went ahead um, in eight or nine games in a row with five minutes to go, they were leading, won none of them. It was it was insane, the amount of points they were throwing away. But then something clicked and he, I think it, it points to his man management skills and his motivational skills to keep a squad of players that at that point were lower league footballers. And from January onwards, they were, I think, second in the championship behind, behind Derby, I think, um, for the second half of the year. And but for just some extraordinary financial shenanigans that we don't have time to go into they they would very likely be pushing the top six this year in the championship I'm convinced of that um he, he turned them around that well and I can't believe I've gone all this way without talking about the FA Cup run either when, he, when we're in league one where beat three Premier League sides including Pep Guardiola's Manchester City live on TV yeah I, I'm glad you brought that up because the FA Cup I think both of you have seen your teams win an FA Cup um, and in that um, in that time since that since so it was Portsmouth first, wasn't it? In two thousand and ten, we got to the final again in two thousand and ten. Okay. Easy mistake to make, but yeah. Okay, so po I possibly might have got this slightly wrong then, but I think we've won two cup ties in the FA Cup since since Portsmouth won it and won. Well, we beat you since... on route to the on route to winning the cup in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, and you beat us this season in the FA Cynical Cup red well. card. Cynical red card from <laughs> Liam Trotter, I think. <laughs> Come on. You're in an Ipswich podcast now. That was a... Yeah. <laughs> it, was a was it was a scandal. I can admit that. It's fine. <laughs> um, 
yeah, Danny, I'm interested in the man management thing that you've you've mentioned just there because although we don't know, like we're not in the dressing room, there was a lot of talk that Paul Lambert didn't have particularly good man management skills, and we've heard this from ex players as well. Is this is this one of the things that Paul Cook is is known for? Is that the man management side of it? Yeah, I would say so. I, I had a little look today, trying to find some comments and players that had maybe left that um, that that spoke about him, and and there weren't too many since obviously he's left Wigan. But at the time, that was one of the things that almost to a man they all brought up, and I think you can see that as well in now the the collapse sort of happened in the summer almost all the players have left so Sam Morsey went to, to Middlesbrough um, Joe Williams who's at Bristol City they still are talking about and tweeting about and following Wigan and following Paul Cook uh, I, I think it was um, Joe Williams was saying uh, congratulations to, to Gary Roberts who I believe has joined as a first team coach who played for us yes, for a yeah. couple of years so yeah. he, and, for, they, and for Pompey as well well, I mean, yeah, and, for yeah, really and for Accrington, yeah, I think he's followed him all the way around. He played that, as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think that speaks to to the sort of man that he is, and the sort he's he's what I guess you would call a players' manager. Yeah, everybody that plays for him loves playing for him. He's he can be one of the lads. We've seen him out on the town having some beers with fans and with players. Like that side of him, I think will be very very important, especially coming into somewhere like Ipswich, where I understand. Things maybe haven't been quite as as upbeat, maybe as as they perhaps should be. I think that's something that he could almost bring straight away and have an instant impact. Yeah, I was going to say as well on the subject of man management. Um, I have nothing negative to add here at all. Um, I was going to basically add to that and say that very quickly he filled the dressing room at Portsmouth with a good number of experienced pros who effectively probably, you know negated the need for him to really do any man management because he had Gary Roberts, he had Michael Doyle. Um, he In the first season, he signed uh, Ben Davis. Um, and then in the following year, he added uh, Carl Baker. He added David Ford in goal. So this kind of, um, you know, this group of... A band of brothers, dre- almost. Yeah, basically dressing room generals, I suppose, um, that really meant that, there was probably not that much need for him to motivate the players because if you're t- if you're talking about those players that I've just named at the level that we were at, the standards are automatically going to be very high. And that's interesting because the his first year at Wigan, he pretty much had the best squad in the division in in League One. That was not the case for his second two years, and in both of those years, they had really really bad runs, and and I mean runs that had. Fans calling for his head. The, the results were that bad, mm-hmm. but at no stage could you accuse the players of giving up on him. And that is so important at, the, at this kind of level. At no stage did they give up on him or his methods. They could tell you could tell just from watching them that the desire was still there. They still had the belief in him and his the way that he wanted them to play. Uh, and again, that I think that shows how much of a players' manager uh, he really is. He definitely, he definitely is. Um, to take a slightly different slant I had a look at it I mean it's not man management as such but I was looking at the recruitment for Paul Cook um, during his time at Pompey and he signed according to transfer market he signed 28 players on permanent obviously permanent could be a year let's say but he signed 28 players excluding loans in his two years at Portsmouth 
Um, and a big part of that was the fact that until David Ford arrived at the start of the second season, he couldn't get a settled goalkeeper. And the other big aspect, which I'm sure we'll probably come on to in terms of his playing style, was he basically never had a reliable centre forward in his time at Portsmouth, or at least not one that he trusted. Um, and so in terms of, you said there about the players never giving up on him and committing to his um his principles that's that's absolutely the case as well I would say from my experience of watching him in charge of Portsmouth I suppose the one maybe slight thing to brace yourself for is that he just he will not compromise at all on his principles and if it's not going right he won't change it basically so um yeah maybe that's yeah that, that brings us neat, neatly on to the next topic which is tactics formation and playing style will so I'm mm-hmm. guess, guessing you're you're alluding to something there. So we, one of the many criticisms of Paul Lambert, especially during the, the first 18 months, is that he chopped and changed the team and tactics, mm-hmm. tried to reinvent the wheel, just confused himself in the end. And then at the start of this season, he found a formation that he liked and then stuck with it even when it wasn't working and didn't change it until it was too late. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, talk talk to us about Paul Cook's approach to tactics and and also maybe style of football as well. Yeah, well, ju- just to sort of um, contextualise it a bit further, until about a week ago, I think Portsmouth and Ipswich were in very similar positions in terms of the way that a lot of their supporters felt about their manager and his approach. And without going into that specifically um, in terms of our current manager, what really, really just leaps off the page to me in terms of a huge contrast between our current manager and Paul Cook is the dedication to that plan. Um, I currently couldn't tell you what our style of play is. Whereas with Paul Cook, you knew every single week you were going to get a 4-2-3-1 with an intention to pass the ball and to use the wingers to good effect. That was what I saw at Portsmouth. Obviously, that's a system which a lot of people have used. And as I kind of hinted at earlier, it's very, it's not dependent, but it's um, massively the success of it is basically dictated in many ways by how effective that central forward is. Um, and for us, we got by without having, you know, a consistent and reliable source of goals in, in the one up front. Um, we had, you know, like I touched on before, the likes of Gary Roberts, the like of, the likes of Carl Baker, Kyle Bennett um, in behind. But he wouldn't change from that formation at all. Um, And somebody like Connor Chaplin, who obviously Portsmouth fans hold very dear to them being an academy product and who's since gone on to prove himself at a higher level than Portsmouth are operating. There was no place in him for the, there was no place for him in Paul Cook's team because of the formation and the formation was never going to change. So it's obviously, it's great when it works and when it doesn't work, you are questioning why is he not trying something different? But having said that, to compare it to where where I see my team now, I would absolutely I'd absolutely trade where we are for that consistency of plan because at least you have a reference point. I saw you nodding along there for much of that, Danny. Did did yeah. Paul Cook I'm I'm presuming now that he played a four two three one and and stuck with it. Um yeah. as Wigan pretty much. I think you pretty much could have asked either one of us 
to <laughs> describe the tactics at each other's team and we probably would have yeah. been able to, to describe it. You can book it every week, 4-2-3-1. We did have a brief dalliance with the back three. Very brief. That's outrageous. That's absolutely uh, yeah, outrageous. quickly saw the... I think that was during the really, really bad run in his first championship season. Um, if you get to that point, Mikey, you're yeah. in trouble. Panic so, so, Danny, if, if, if it was very much the same, and, and I'm guessing it stayed the same when you're in the championship as well, when you were struggling a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, is there a plan B that he likes to move to during the game? No. Plan B is do plan A better. Frankly. Okay, um, so just just he'll just change the players then, but we'll stay four two three one. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I mean, the only slight difference, I suppose, maybe, and this is probably more to do with the the step up in in quality and the step up in level, was uh, as much as it was very, it was quite slow and patient passing build up generally. Um, so brace yourselves for that. I know the the Wigan crowd, the Wigan fans aren't huge fans of. That tip tap nonsense, as they, as sometimes would it would be branded, even under yeah. Roberto Martinez in the Premier League, they weren't a fan of it necessarily. Um, at times, uh, last season in particular, when we had Kiefer Moore up top, there was they would go long too quickly, they would go too direct too quickly, and often it was Kiefer Moore against five defenders, with the nearest player being Jamal Lowe on the touchline, thirty five yards away from him. That began to click as the players, I think, got more used to playing with each other because it was a very new side last year. Um, so that's the only thing maybe to to brace for. It may he, he likes the one up front. It seems to be a, a large target man kind of player. So he, he bombed out Will Grigg pretty quickly when we got into the championship. Admittedly, if you've watched Sunderland Till I Die, you'll know why. Um, but he didn't, he, he soured on him quite quickly and didn't play him quite as much. Um, but then when Moore came in, I mean, you can see this year what he's done for Cardiff. He's a phenomenal footballer. And they, when they played to his strengths, he was almost unplayable. But that one, as Will said, is very important. And it might be the sort of thing that, that brings the best out of somebody like James Norwood, who I know has maybe flattered to deceive a little bit since he joined from Tranmere. Might be good news for him. Yeah, Sorry, although was... although he's, he's, come, he's coming good at the moment, although he, in our last game against Accrington he missed missed a lot of chances but one the, the main problem with James Norwood really since he's been with us hasn't hasn't necessarily been his performances he he misses a lot of chances but he always gets them and that's the most important thing in league 1 really and mm. he's I wouldn't really describe him as a target man but he he is someone that occupies defenders he's very similar strikers to Joe Garner Danny but maybe yeah. a, a little well, bit more Garner, yeah Garner did did well as uh, as well for us. He Garner was never the goal threat that that Moore was, but but Garner's did pretty well in this system. Maybe he might not be the pure sort of stereotypical target man, but from from what little I've seen, admittedly of of him playing, uh, he seems like the sort of player that that Paul Cook would quite like to to have as his front man to to help bring the midfield uh, into play. I think he might he might be having a little toast this evening. <laughs> I was just going to just add a couple of points on the kind of on, on the centre centre forward, but also the number ten. We saw a couple of times he maybe would try to. I think, and I think I'm getting this right, but Kenny Jackett's played four two three one a lot as well. But I, I feel like I remember um, Paul Cook would occasionally, when we were at home, really, um, he would occasionally try 
one of the more diminutive forwards in that number 10 position. Um, in fact, it definitely was Paul Cook because the player I'm thinking of is Mark McNulty. So Mark McNulty um, could play as a nine or a 10 um, and a way of getting to would be, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not reinventing the wheel, but he, to, to get two strikers on the pitch, um, he would often play one of them as the 10 um that was an approach that he went for but what i was going to say in terms of the um the speed of the passing and danny said you know you might have to brace yourself for that i mean to state the obvious it's just entirely dependent on the players that he has in that midfield too um and the real big difference for me um in terms of the way we played i'm not saying this signing got us promoted but at the end of the first season under paul cook we signed Danny Rose from Northampton as a central midfielder and he was somebody who would move the ball much more quickly and by adding him to the enforcer of the previous season, Michael Doyle, you then had that balance in the middle and you had that speed of passing, which I think was actually very, very important over the course of the season. Is, is that where Cook likes the... It's, is that where he wants his players to be passing the ball sort of in the middle of the pitch or, or does he play out does he like his team to play out from the back because we, we well as you know as you know we had Matt Clark um oh of who, course yeah so you know I think it's it's almost a bit unfair to you know base a whole team from that era because we had him and he was such an anomaly such a wonderful player mm. um did he have Webster as well Paul well from memory, we had them both in the first season under Paul Cook, and then in the summer that mm. sort of breached his two mm. seasons. Yeah, that no, was when we did. No, that was. I think Clark went to Pompey in the. Oh no, he possibly was on. Yeah, loan. so we had Clark yeah. on loan. So we had yeah. Clark on loan, and then at the end of the first season, it was a permanent swap. Clark mm. for Webster was my was my. Recollection. Yeah, yeah, you're defi- Clark, we definitely yeah. had Clark on loan, and then permanent. Okay, because we. We played it. We tried to play it out from the back for much of this season, and it didn't didn't really work. And I think one of the main criticisms um, from Ipswich fans and outsiders as well is we spent so much time passing the ball among our defenders. We don't really have any ball playing defenders fit and available at the moment. And we've got a goalkeeper that can kick it. He can kick it two hundred yards, but he can't play out from the back. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe slightly concerned that we might start returning to that again. But to be fair, he did try that at, at Wigan as well with centre backs who aren't necessarily renowned as ball players. I mean, we had Shea Dunkley and Cedric Kipre last year. We've had Dan Byrne as well. None of whom are what you would necessarily describe as elegant ball players. Um, what he would do with us, particularly last year, is the the, the two the, the double pivot. If we go all Michael Cox. Uh, in midfield, the two who would sit deep. We had Sam Morsey, who was just always available. He was there for the five-yard, 10-yard pass in midfield. And we'd have someone like Lee Evans or Joe Williams, who were a little more progressive with the ball. But those two would always be available. And yeah, they would pop it around left to right, keep the ball, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, Again, I think that was probably more to do with the level that he was managing at being in the championship game with yeah. that more defensive solidity. But I would not be surprised if he tries to maybe bring a little bit of that, um, that sort of thing to Ipswich as well. Okay. Um, yeah. We Ipswich definitely have ball playing 
midfielders that's that's something that we do have in abundance um it's just yeah the idea of total enciala playing out from the back again <laughs> it's got, got me slightly worried um blue monday are delighted to be partnered with Talksport fan network and nordvpn giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, Tell them, honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The, ne- the next thing I've got, uh, the next topic, I feel like this, is, this isn't this is as um, important as the man management and the, and the tactics, um, but it's something that, Paul Cook is is known for, and that's his touchline manner. Um, <laughs> that's very polite. Will, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you, um, as you've got a pretty broad smile on your face there. Tell us a little bit about what Paul Cook is like on the touchline. Just non-stop swearing, basically. <laughs> um, and obviously, if I if I suggest that that's a, a big negative, then I, you know probably come across as being very dry um it's obviously it doesn't really matter does it but that is that's what i think of when i think of paul cook on the touchline just absolutely effing and jeffing for 90 minutes basically and drinking yeah. cups of tea as well so we we did have paul cook he was in the the wham stadium for our game at, at accrington um he was the other side of the um pitch to the manage the temporary management team and you could hear him shouting and screaming at the players <laughs> the whole way through the second half, um, which which was pretty interesting. Because Lambert, in fairness, when when he first came into Ipswich, he was a breath of fresh air, so animated on the touchline, jumping for joy when we scored, kicking every ball. But then it it it's like all of his energy was just sapped away from him. And now and again, he'd be animated on the touchline again but it always felt we always felt like it was maybe a little bit contrived but Danny would would I'm guessing he didn't change his ways when he was at Wigan and and was just bouncing off the bouncing oh off abso- the yeah absolutely I mean it would take a lot I think to sap his energy um I mean I can't remember exactly which season it was where they brought in um 
that coaching staffs could be yellow and red carded. But I think, depending on whether there was an early kickoff or not, I think he was the first manager in the EFL to be yellow carded. I think he lasted seven Sick. minutes of the first <laughs> game uh, of the season he was booked. Um, and obviously, if, if you've seen the Amazon um, All or Nothing with Man City, uh, there is a fantastic episode where they come to Wigan in the FA Cup uh, and then you see the tunnel footage of, of Paul Cook and, and Peter Reed, who was our first team coach at the time, um, winding up Pep Guardiola and, and his uh, assorted coaching staffs uh, and being quite loud. That's exactly who he is. Uh, he's, he's just a ball of energy. And again, I think that goes back a little bit to what we were saying about the man management. I think what... He just wears what he is on his sleeve. He, he is exactly the same in front of the media, in front of the fans, as he is on the training ground with with the players. And I think they feed off that. And it's it's a very it's a very good way to I think to build that kind of team spirit that you need um, if you are going to be so wedded to one system and to believe in 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 the tactics and what he's trying to do. I think that all feeds into it. That persona, his his squad really takes on that. I think. I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game where Portsmouth were winning closing stages, and the front and them were were bouncing. And he he was he was physically like he had his hands in his pockets, and he was just physically like bouncing up and down with them with a massive <laughs> grin on his face. He was just absolutely loving it, and it, it's 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 refreshing to see that kind of emotion and people, you know, obviously feeling like they can let go and enjoy that moment every now and again. Um, yeah, just as Danny said, just wears his heart on his sleeve mm. and extremely genuine, basically. Excellent. Um, yeah, so where where the dugouts are at Portman Road is directly in front of um, the family enclosure. Um, <laughs> and, you might uh, want to look at moving that before, yeah, before the first quite, home game. Quite a lot of um, old, old ladies and gents with their tartan blankets and flasks. <laughs> it's the one of the quietest areas of what is generally... A fairly quiet stadium now. Well, is that where you sit? <laughs> Occasionally. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that that might be quite interesting because um, yeah, not not all Ipswich fans um, seem to enjoy that lively, boisterous behaviour as 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 maybe they should. Um, yeah, as I said, yeah. you, you you feel a bit dry saying it, but do you really want the manager of your team just? Just shouting obscenities all week, every week. Uh, it, it's not. It's not a. It's not a look that's going to suit everybody, is it? As I think you sort of touched mm. on. But it doesn't. Yeah. If the team's yeah, winning, it, let me tell you, no one will care. It's, it's it's very different to most of the successful managers that Ipswich have had. Um, Roy Keane, when he was in charge at Ipswich. He wasn't. He wasn't shouting and bawling all game. But his face just didn't fit. He didn't. He didn't fit the the Suffolk way. But I'm sure that if if Paul Cook is able to get us out of League One, I'm sure everyone will be on board, regardless of his colourful language on the touchline. Um, I suppose that the na- the natural progression from his touchline behaviour is to then talk about his relationship with the fans. Will you've you've kind of already talked talked about his relationship with Pompey fans? He he sort of he seemed like he was behaving like a fan some of the time himself. Yeah, um, he, I think I think as well he, he genuinely did enjoy his time at Portsmouth, and I think he really um, was an excellent fit for the club in terms of he knew straight away what what that club meant to the city, and it's obviously a bit of a cliche, but um, 
he was he was humble and honest and obviously a bit gritty um, and just an absolute perfect fit for us. Um, yeah. And there was a time when we were looking in the second season like we weren't going to get promoted again. And sort of similar to what Danny was saying, you know, the form was such that people were questioning him. Um, and I remember he did a press conference where he basically said, you know, like, when I leave this, he, he, the thought of him leaving the club was sort of quite seriously coming into focus, I think, because um, he, he knew he had to get promoted um, and it was in serious doubt. And he said, when I leave this club, I'll come back and um, I'll, I'll be in the terraces. And, you know, that, I mean, <laughs> it's the sort of thing, obviously, a lot of people could say, but when he said it, it, it there was a sense that that was, a, you know, a genuine feeling that he had. Um, and, you know, when he left, obviously, as I said, I said at the start, you know, we kind of accepted that was the end of it. And also, you have to bear in mind, we, we appointed Kenny Jacket, who at the time was seen as a major coup for us to come straight into League One and, and hire a manager who twice been promoted out of that level. Um, obviously, the way it's kind of stagnated recently would make people look back much more fondly on the Paul Cook era. Um, and his whole manner is is such a, a massive part of that because our current manager doesn't really betray much emotion. And when the results aren't going well, you you naturally question, I think, you know, with your with your hot head, you naturally question, why don't you care? Um, and But with Paul Cook, that was never a question really um, because he he was buzzing when we won and he was pretty, pretty annoyed when we didn't. Um, but you were saying with the fans, the other thing I'll say is, you know, there's a, there's a photo, um, my parents, season ticket holders as well, um, you know, they went down to a, a game and saw him pre-match and there's this, this photo of him and my mum and they're both absolutely beaming so I think that's probably like quite a good indicator of the sort of um you know the sort of person he is that uh you know before a game when he's probably at his most stressed he you know he's more than happy to just take a bit of time take you know and share a bit of time with the fans I thought yeah he's just a very very down-to-earth down-to-earth guy right and um Danny you're a a roving reporter these days. Um, you must have heard a tale or two about what Paul Cook was like with the media. Do you have any any stories to tell on that? Uh, I mean, to be fair, I, I've not heard anything negative really. Um, Wigan obviously isn't isn't a particularly large town. There's there's one local newspaper. What generally one or two journals cover the 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 Latics B and uh, Paul Kendrick, who's the, the the journalist at the Evening Post in Wigan. Um, I don't think I have ever heard him question his uh, Paul Cook's approach. I don't think he ever really ducked a question in a press conference. Um, as Will said, he always would have time for people, be it working, be it um, pre-match with fans or anything like that. Um, I did interview him once. Uh, it was after an FA Cup third round game at Bournemouth that they drew 2-2. Uh, having led 2-0 with a 93rd minute equaliser from Steve Cook, I think it was. Oh, Just before that, however, uh, Ivan Tony, who at the time was absolutely not looking like the Championship's hottest striker while he was on loan with us uh, from Newcastle, um, went round the goalkeeper, went down, wanted a penalty. Paul Cook and Liam Richardson went berserk. I think Liam Richardson was sent off for his um, protestations as well. 
Um, literally from that, went up the other end, Bournemouth on the corner, uh, I think, and the equaliser went in. So I go down to do his post-match interview, knowing that I'm going to have to ask him about this this penalty that that um, that hadn't been given directly before the the uh, the equalising goal. And I think the media people had maybe warned him that I, you know, I, I have been a Wigan season ticket holder for ten years or whatever it was. Um, so as we were getting the camera ready, I sort of said to him, "But do you, do you think that was a penalty on Tony at the end?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, def- it's a pe- it's definitely a penalty. He's take the goalkeeper's taking him out. It's, oh, it's, honestly, he's gonna go. He's gonna give it. He's gonna give it." So then, how, was, why have we gone thirty-five minutes without you doing an impression? <laughs> <of all? laughs> yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, so we set the camera up, then press record, and I go, um, "Paul, have to start with the second goal. Do you think we should have had a penalty? Uh, Wigan should have had a penalty there just before the equaliser went in." And he, he's got a little glint in his eye. He goes, no, no, no. He can't look. He can't give re- referees decisions. You know, we should have defended the cross better. It's, you can't <laughs> just give a penalty for that. Maybe he just slipped over. It's like, oh. Yeah, all right, okay, I know what you're doing here. But he's he's got a good good sense of humour for that sort of thing. Um, mm. In terms of dealing with the media, the one thing that you will have to brace yourself for almost every single week uh, in the Championship, he would describe it as an unforgiving division. Uh, and he would also, he got the go of a few fans because every week it would seem that they were playing the best team in the division. He would pump up the opposition quite a lot, which uh, yeah. is... That, that, seems, that's, that seems to be something that good man managers do, though, because Mick McCarthy yeah, did that a lot. Exactly. I, it's a thing. Modern managers do it all the time, but there were a few Wigan fans who were a bit like, oh, we're we playing you know, Brazil again this week. It's, you know, we, we've got like Swansea away, and it's we're talking as if they've got Jairzinho at right wing. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it, it, it annoyed people a little bit, but that was mainly during the, the bad times where it was, it's an unforgiving, unforgiving division. <laughs> and we'll, we'll um, can you point out any quirks to Paul Kirk or any any? I'm not expecting you to to try and do a scouse impression, <laughs> but yeah, I'll leave I'll leave that to Danny. But um, <laughs> yeah, was there, of, there any quirks or quirks. or maybe anything you didn't like about Paul Kirk? Something that he would would keep saying, or I mean that obviously that um, building up the opposition. Would, just wouldn't have washed in League Two as manager of Portsmouth, so yeah. that's not something that um, really resonates with me. Um, if, if you if you were saying something that um, I I didn't like about him, and this is not really you know it's probably quite harsh terms to put it in, but going back to the the tactical approach again, it's just the stubbornness really. Okay. Um, so, I mean nothing that we haven't really touched on already mm. yeah a, a stubborn northerner where where could it possibly go wrong for Ipswich Town <laughs> well you can ask yeah. Danny <laughs> true I mean look, before you move on from from like negative aspects of it as Will alluded to the the lack of changing uh, of formation and tactics did great on people um, he did tend to have favourites we've mentioned Cal Naismith he got the reputation as, as being you know, the manager's boy, which was unfair. Uh, I, I didn't think he was anywhere near as bad as people were making out. Um, the one thing that really did annoy people towards the end of last season was Wigan out of nowhere seemed to have developed one of the very best youth systems outside the Premier League. And 
he didn't really seem to want to integrate any of those young players. The biggest one was was Joe Gelhart, who's now um, at Leeds and is tearing up there on the 23 side. He um, he was in and around the first team squad. Uh, I don't know whether it was his, his first start or not. But he scored a, a fantastic goal against Hull, but then wasn't really in the first team. I think he got one more start, didn't really do much. But we're talking about an 18-year-old kid going up against you know big, ugly championship centre-halves. But that was becoming a bit of an issue where he, he didn't seem to want to give them much of an opportunity over players that were, uh, in the fans' eyes, underperforming, um, which which was a strange one because clearly these boys are incredibly talented where they've gone on to now. Um, but, but that was a source of a lot of criticism um, at the time when, when the team was struggling. He didn't seem to want to change it up and, and give those young players too much of an opportunity. I understand why, because... The championship, especially at the bottom, is brutal. It's an unforgiving division. It is. It is an unforgiving <laughs> league. It is an unforgiving league. But I understand why you wouldn't want to throw in an eighteen-year-old kid and rely on them in a in a relegation battle when you've got you know someone like Joe Garner who will happily kick lumps out of centre halves for ninety minutes for you. So I do. Get, I understand where he was coming from, but the, that was a source of a lot of criticism um, toward, towards the last sort of six months of his of his tenure. Yeah, he's, I think it just it speaks to his. Um... It just speaks to his loyalty to the players and what we mm. said earlier about how he will look to fill the dressing room with those big characters and they're naturally the more experienced players um, and the players that he's worked with before. So, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't, I probably could look at Ipswich's signings next summer and there'll be at least one name yeah. that I've seen play for mm. Portsmouth there, basically, I would have thought. Yeah, well, well, at one least player that we already have, Will, is Ollie Hawkins. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that he had a striker that didn't score many goals was is that were you referring to Ollie Hawkins or did was he not was he not he your main striker he, he, he never played for us under Paul Cook um, oh okay but um there were lots of that ilk um that you know we tried and didn't work in that in that number nine position I mean Michael Smith is a good example who came to us in league two uh, I think initially on loan and then again we signed him permanently and um, yeah, he he he's since gone on to prove himself at Rotherham, and um, was just never really given that run, I suppose, because he didn't he didn't score hatfuls of goals for Portsmouth. Um, but yeah, to be fair to him, well, as I'm sure you can vouch for, the fella can spot a player. Oh, if you look, absolutely. If you look absolutely. at the if you look at the players that that Wigan lost because of the administration in the summer. You look at Kiefer Moore, who, who's one of the top goal scorers in the championship this year. Jamal Lowe went through a run of you know seven or eight goals in in ten games for Swansea, including a winner in in the derby. He brought from non-league football, I think, to, to mm-hmm. Portsmouth. Anthony Robinson, who he plucked from Everton's reserves, and I I think he's he's been outstanding for for Fulham when he's played. Cedric Kipre yeah. is now up at West Brom. God knows how we can't get into that team. He can he can spot a player. Not all of them, admittedly, particularly came off, but you could see why he brought them into the football club. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if the recruitment will be very good. I would say the recru- on the recruitment side, I sort of touched on it earlier with the number of players that he signed. And what I would say is there'll be more, in my ex- based on what I saw at Portsmouth, there was more misses than hits, but the hits were absolutely phenomenal hits. Um, like... Matt Clark, we already spoke about and doesn't need to 
be discussed any further on this podcast. Um, he signed Ender Stevens on a free transfer. Um, I think it was technically from Aston Villa. Um, he was contracted to at the time. Um, so we got Ender Stevens for free in League Two. <laughs> um, that's pretty. <laughs> that's mental, isn't it? <laughs> um, and yeah, then the likes of, but even even some of the ones that didn't come off. Um, he signed Kieran Freeman from Sheffield United. Um, he came on loan to us in Paul Cook's first season, barely got a run out, was brilliant for Sheffield United in the Championship. Um, Jaden Stockley, he signed on loan from Bournemouth, I think it was at the time. He's since gone on to play in the Championship. This was all in League Two, obviously. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the list of players that he brought into the club um, were either those real experienced pros that, myself and a lot of other Portsmouth supporters look back on now and think, oh God, we, we didn't really appreciate how good we had it with that dressing room. Um, or players who, you know, were effectively effectively punts who, you know, as, as, I, as I sort of just said, have, have gone on to play at a higher level than Portsmouth. Yeah, I'm glad you've you've touched upon that, Will, because the recruitment side of it is going to be really, really important for Paul Cook, no matter what, doesn't matter what situation we're in at the end of the season because we're we're going to be losing a lot of players at the end of this season and I guess that'll be music that to his ears, though. that would be something that just yeah but also it, it might work out as a positive because these players are going to be playing for their futures and they might they're probably going to be quite keen to play for Paul Cook so maybe they will earn themselves some contracts between now and the end of the season um, there is that, that might be dependent on who who the owners are but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's 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 just a suspicion, but my feeling is him seeing lots of players out of contract, just to complete, you know, clear the decks and get his own mm. players in. That would be absolutely perfect for him. Okay, interesting. So, I'm going to ask this really simple question now, and I think I know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> Danny, do you expect Paul Cook to be a success at Ipswich Town? I will be absolutely staggered if he isn't. It it feels, uh, with with all due respect to Ipswich and the the size of the club, I am astonished that he is a available still, and b is has decided to to take the Ipswich job. Because in all seriousness, every single Championship job that's come up this season, I've been amazed they've not taken him. Mm. I thought he'd be perfect for Bristol City, for Sheffield Wednesday, for Cardiff. I, I thought he would go to any one of them. So for him to go to Ipswich, I think is a phenomenal move from them. Hopefully with the new owners, if they do come in sooner rather than later, they can give him a bit of backing. And look, promotion may not happen this year. It's obviously a little, maybe a little late in the in the season to really make a move, but it's not the strongest league one, I don't think, this year. I'll be amazed if we're sitting here in 18 months and he's not got you pretty damn close. Okay, and Will? I'm smiling, well, yeah, smiling think- along there. No, I think um, I was just thinking of the good times. No, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think he will be a success. Um, similar to what Danny was saying, I can't believe that his his next job has not been in the championship. His mm. career trajectory was completely pointing towards that, in my opinion. Yeah, obviously, I didn't follow him, you know, his progress at Wigan particularly intently, but you can kind of tell that um, the job he did there was well, particularly particularly at the very end of last 
season, the you know the restrictions that Wigan were under, which as Danny said, we don't need to go into, but their on-field performance was staggering. Um, and I think that what I would say is, is possibly the, the biggest positive is that hearing him speak on um, Not the Top 20 pod a few months ago, um, he said... He's never he, the last few jobs he's taken Chesterfield, Portsmouth, and Wigan. He never applied for the, all three of those clubs came to him, and he said he's out of work. But in his head, is he now in a position where he can say, "Well, he was saying basically, I hope I'm in a position where I can look at the offers coming in and not necessarily take the first job that's offered to me, but take the the job that is right." And if I was an Ipswich fan, having heard that. That would be massively encouraging because it says to me that he is, he's, you know, he's in possession of all the facts about what your new um, owners plan to, to do for the club. Um, and there's absolutely no way that he would have gone along with it if they had League One as the, um, the level that they intended to operate at. So, yeah. Uh, like Danny, I'm probably a, a little bit, um, well, is it jealousy? I don't know. <laughs> There's a little bit of envy, I'm not going to lie. There is a little yeah, bit of envy. Cool. But I mean, look, you can, you can look at look at Barnsley this year. Uh, phenomenal sliding doors moment from, from last year. The, the only reason Barnsley are in the championship this year is because of the, the Wigan being forced into administration. They're, they're sixth, I think, as it stands. Mm-hmm. That's where Wigan would be this year with Paul Cook as manager. I'm, I'm convinced of that fact. They will be pushing that top wow. six with basically a League One squad with a few players dotted around. That's the the calibre of manager that Ipswich have managed to lure to a League One team. Uh, and and as Will says, I would be really quite excited with, with what he can do because it's clear he now, they've gone to him, he feels wanted. He was looking at, he think just after he left, he was looking at championship jobs that could let me be in the Premier League in a year. That was what he was looking for right at the very start. To get him in League One, I think you, you, you're well set for hopefully a good few years of success. Excellent. Thanks very much, Danny. And you don't begrudge it to me at all, do you? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but we've seen we've seen peaks and troughs, haven't we, Will? We've got to let somebody else see a peak for once in a while. How many years was it in the Championship without... Without moving anywhere, is it 17 yeah. years or something? Yeah. 21 years or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, now God that, knows now you need a, a peak. I was going to say since COVID, obviously Mikey and I used to lift share to work, but since COVID, that's the thing of the past. So at least I don't have to, I won't have to listen to uh, all the all book updates around the M25. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. So yeah, you just, just mentioned um, that you're a colleague of mine, Will. Um, would you like to plug your show to our thousands of listeners and viewers? Well, they'd know that they'd only know the show through Danny anyway, who's the uh, the regular voiceover for that um, Premier League match pack. Um, it's basically a stats based preview of the weekend's Premier League games, um, and yeah, some Sky, BT, and Amazon in this country. Great stuff. And and Danny, I mentioned at the start, you're a bit of a bit of a gun for hire these days. Is there any any <laughs> your work that you'd like to plug? Oh well, given present company. Definitely check out Matchback if you if you like your statistics, get involved. Only given present company. No, not at all. It's a, it's a, it's a genuinely, genuinely good show. I don't say that just because uh, I happen to be one of the voices on it. But um, yeah, if you're in the UK, get it on Amazon Prime. 
Sky Sports, BT Sport, or anywhere in, around the world where you watch your Premier League football, you'll be able to find it. Uh, and yeah, you can see me on Amazon Prime Videos, coverage of the Premier League and BT Sports score as well. I'm off to Weymouth on Saturday for the first time, which should be quite good fun for some National League action. Very exciting. And and Danny, of course, you're also a voiceover artist for EFL on Quest, which, which Indeed. is definitely a show that's popular amongst Ipswich. Well, it will be popular amongst Ipswich fans between now and the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. It certainly hasn't been for, for the rest of it. But well, hopefully for your sake, maybe for not much longer than, than maybe 18 months or so. Let's hope you can escape that somehow. But um, yeah, it's good. Uh, hell of a show to be part of. Hey, why not? Why not? Aim high. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you both very much for joining us. Um, I'll be back um, with the flagship show with Joe Fares and David Diamond. That will be out on Monday. Um, so all that's left to say is ready, steady, cook. Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping. But in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.